Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. I wish y'all knew how excited I am to have this conversation today with my guest. He is a facilitator, a builder for visionaries, and a work in progress. I have Ben Stevens with me. Hi, Ben. Hello, LaShonda. Hello, Labors of Love listeners. Yes. So I cannot wait to talk more specifically about all of your uh, things that you do, but I am going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? So I've, I've been thinking on this, LaShonda, and I think my labor of love is self-love. I think it's the hardest love that there is. Um, and I've been in conversation with people close to me in this last week, just about how hard it is to even love other people unless you're loving yourself first um and so the ways that I mean that's that's my work in progress piece (laughs) um that's my biggest work in progress is is the self-love and there's so many different parts of it that we could explore but I think it really touches all aspects of my life um from my personal relationships whether it's uh my romantic relationship with my wife and partner whether it is my family relationships, my work relationships, but most importantly, my relationship with myself. And I think especially uh, coming through the pandemic, which is ongoing, we're we're still living in it right now. Um, I've had some major challenges kind of in that relationship that I've had to, uh, I don't want to say overcome because I'm still working on them, but grapple with. Um, And I... I think love is is really one of my, uh, if not the core value that I guide my life with. Um, and it's how I try to direct my energy with other people, um, both in my work and just uh, how I go about things. Um, but uh, yeah, the self-love is the anchor and that's that's often the hardest part. Everything else seems to kind of flow from there. I appreciate that so very much. Um, I will say that... Um, Being a recipient of your love, it's evident to me that it is a very uh, central core value to you and how I have experienced that from the get, like from the very beginning of our relationship, which started virtually, right? Um, And almost, um, what do I want to say? Like peripherally, I, I don't think you and I came directly into relationship with one another for a while having met you but what I I can tell you my first interaction with you was on a virtual meeting and I was being invited to come into this space for some stuff going on and that's 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 this that's this perfect that's it y'all that's what my calendar is like I show up at stuff with people doing stuff trying to get stuff done and I know that 
organizations and people have <laughs> names and titles and stuff, but <laughs> I, I show up <laughs> and I don't always know exactly what I'm showing up for. Um, and this was one of those things, especially with people I trust. So Sarah Buffy, dear, dear friend of mine also wish I knew which podcast she was on. You have to go back to early season one um, where Buffy and I talked, but you know, she invited me into this space and it was very interesting coming into this space because you know how we sometimes talk about walking into a lunchroom as a middle schooler. That seems to be a good example. Who do I sit? Who do I know? Like the angst around that. That's kind of how I came into this virtual meeting pretty early in the pandemic. I couldn't explain why. And I do what most people do when they walk into physical spaces. I'm looking for who do I know? Who looks like me? Who looks friendly? Like, where am I going to be safe? And I only knew one person, the person who had invited me. And her role as facilitator almost felt like it made her um, unavailable. So like you go to, imagine going to a big conference and someone's the speaker and you're like, you're the only person I know, but I can't like sit next to you or talk next to you. So I started like, and this is all hindsight, by the way, I just felt super mm, anxious is probably not the right word, a little overwhelmed and slightly distressed after this call. All of this is how I have conceptualized it since then. But I, I just was, I now realize I was trying to make connections with people like through Zoom, right? Like, who can I feel connected to? And it feels like everyone that I was trying to do that with is two black males, actually. They didn't know that's what I was doing, right? But it, 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 it wasn't feeling reciprocal. I was the only black female on the call. Then we went into like small groups and Ben was in my small group. And there was just something that like, I just felt like, ugh. like, calm, my body settled. And it was just really basic things that you did that you probably don't even realize that you do that really helped me feel seen as a person. And I think you were there in the capacity to like take notes on things we were talking about, but your presence and how you engaged with me, not knowing that I was in any level of distress, significantly shifted how I felt in that space. And it has been that way every since. So I went through that whole spiel because while I honor your work in progress, and while I can't wait to talk about that, to hear you say that love is the core value in which you govern yourselves, yourself, I just want to hopefully affirm that I felt that from the very first moment that I met you. And it's only grown since. And now that we have like a more personal relationship, I, I feel that in different ways. But just, you know, on my, you know, random tangent, what was it like hearing that? Mm. Um, it's like rewinding the tape back, you know. Um, and I think even... Uh, even this morning with Shonda, I, I woke up early to try and get my work done fast because uh, I'm taking time off at the end of the week. And about 15 minutes before this call, I was feeling kind of anxious <laughs> and a little bit stressed, uh, just trying to catch up with work, get ready for this podcast. And um, what I decided to 
do instead or b was like okay with that and to just sit down and make time to meditate just for 10 minutes um and i say that because sometimes it feels like working in this pandemic environment you don't have a lot of time to rewind the tape and just sit and be with what's happened <laughs> in the last two years and it's crazy that that was almost a year and a half ago now on what you're describing um i think it feels affirming for what I try to establish as a facilitator, um, whether I'm the lead conversationalist or kind of setting the container, or even as you're describing, maybe just being a note taker um, and, and a co-holder. Um, so no, I think it feels affirming of, of, of like where I'm trying to put a lot of my energy. Um, I, I think a lot of the work that I do is about moving energy or responding to energy and making room and space for it um, in conversations. Part of what I do is I'm a builder for visionaries. I, I work with um, at least two or three incredible visionary women <laughs> um, and I'm more of a builder. So I try to kind of create uh, spaces where their visions can um, be built out in partnership and in teams. Um, and so um, I think sometimes like there's building on a big scale, like what are we going to do with this organization that's aiming for social impact over the course of a year? And then there's like, what can we build in five minutes in this breakout room? And, and often it's just the safety to be um, or to be seen and, and feel seen. Um, I'm, I'm also pausing myself because uh, you asked me, how did it feel? And I'm telling you a lot of things that I was thinking, which is part of my work in progress. It felt good. It felt good to hear that, Lashonda. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And <clears throat> while I am so, yes, tell me your thoughts. I love it. Like, I didn't make a face or anything, y'all, for real. Like, he just kind of, like, wait a minute. How did I feel? And I, I appreciate that. Um, I've said this many times on the podcast. These are unscripted and unrehearsed. I actually don't ask people what they're going to say is their labor of love because I want my response to it to be as authentic and genuine as possible. Um, and just hearing that, I am struck by how much self-love really does impact heavily and significantly how we show up with other people. And we have a tendency to be the most awful people to ourselves we would not say things to other people that we say to ourselves we don't even think things about other people sometimes that we think about ourselves and we definitely wouldn't go through the process of ignoring minimizing and all the things that we do to our feelings and sensations to other people why because we like we want them to be in relationship with us I think there's a part of us that's like, that's rude as hell. Mm. Like, <laughs> like, oh God, if I did that or said that, they wouldn't want to be in relationship with me anymore. But we can be gaslighting and abusive to ourselves almost with this notion of like, but I'll be back. I mean, where am I going? I ain't going nowhere, right? And that, that feels, ugh. so you've talked about like self-love being that labor of love. Is there a, and you noted that it this it was really exacerbated or and during the pandemic. But if you were to trace this back, where where might be a root time or 
incident or season for you where you even began to recognize um, the value of self-love in helping you achieve what you wanted to in the world? Hmm. I think there are two, two different times, one more recent and one much longer ago. And so I think the much longer ago is the really the entire period of my adolescence. <laughs> um, and the, the highest cliff notes I can offer is uh, parents got divorced, mother developed schizophrenia not long after, um, lots of custody battles across countries even between the United States and England, police, all kinds of craziness. My mom uh, ended up taking her own life um, when I was 16 years old as a result of her schizophrenia. And then just kind of randomly, my dad, who was very healthy and 44, just dropped dads from like heart failure two years later when I was 18. And so through all of that, um, even before my parents passed away, like being an oldest sibling of four, experiencing a lot of trauma, which I didn't know that's what it was at the time. It was just stuff that was hard in my life. Um, I think I developed lots of ways to love up on myself. Um, but most of them were focused on other people um, and kind of getting what I needed from friendships and, um, and from family and providing for others. And actually, that I do think that that's a valid and a healthy form of self-love. <laughs> if, it gives you, if it gives you kind of pleasure, if it, it gives you grounding, um, if it can maybe divert the focus of what's too painful to deal with in the moment to help somebody else who's also really hurting, you know, whether it's a sibling or somebody else, I think that that's valid. And I think in some ways I was avoiding uh, the grieving process or my own sadness or the, uh, the idea that other people would see me as vulnerable, you know, in different ways. And so I think that's like one version of where I developed like a very uh, keen sense of empathy but didn't always apply it fully to myself mm -hmm. can um, we pause in that story and me ask a few questions before you move to the second one let's pause Lashonda. yeah well I I <laughs> this happens I think it it happens to me when I am the storyteller there's like when you've worked through and done some work you you say things and you you're just you're telling a story but I want to tell you that viscerally I had so many responses to this very quick high level overview of like yeah here was adolescence and like I could feel my heart my gut and all of those things so I just want to name that thank you for sharing your story um and and those components that were a part of it um I'm sorry for your losses <clears throat> and um yeah thank you because that's not something we've ever talked about <laughs> so um yeah that that's significant and so a couple of questions I had. One, when your ability to articulate all of that sounds amazing, but I'm pretty sure you didn't know that at like 19, <laughs> you know, 20, right? Maybe you did, but when do you think you begin to recognize things like how I learned to love myself was through, you know, helping others and doing that? And also it helped me avoid 
these painful things. Does that feel like a more recent discovery or do you think you had a understanding of that back then? Kind of a both and answer. Like I, like I knew very much in the moment that those things helped me and, and that's why I was doing them and that they felt good because so many people in my life, my sister especially, were like, yo, you're really just focusing on me or other people. And what about you? And I'm like, well, this is what makes me feel good. The, but at the time, I would adamantly deny that I was avoiding um, anything that felt painful or hard for me. So I don't know that I really have a, a finger on when I started to accept that. I think, I think it was probably when I worked for, not for, <laughs> The idea of working for a therapist is funny. No, the the, the idea uh, <laughs> when I was first working with a therapist um, a few years ago, um, just to kind of, I was going in to think about some of the anxiety I was facing, um, which I hadn't really faced in that way before in my body or mind or heart. And uh, some of the work that we did together uh, helped me realize that in the present, I was avoidant. <laughs> of negative feelings you know if I was feeling uh, guilty about something or sad about something or upset or confused or overwhelmed or not enough I would rather than sit with the feeling um, and give it space to breathe and just even acknowledge that it was happening I'd distract myself with something um, usually some form of procrastination and so working with um, her She's an incredible therapist. Her name is Amanda Urena. Um, she works out of Oakland. Um, and she really helped me to kind of backtrack. Well, where, where did this habit begin? Where did this habit of kind of procrastinating away your feelings <laughs> or away from your feelings? You can't really get away fully, but you can, you can run for a little bit. Um, where did that start? And I think I traced it back. And so that was um, that was challenging work that she made so much easier. She's amazing. Um, and it also, one of the challenges was that I had to rewrite that part of my self-understanding or identity, you know, into a both and that like, yes, actually a central part of my being, you know, and, and, and like having love as a core value is trying to like spread that to other people. And at the same time, you can overdo that <laughs> um, if, if you're not focusing on your self-love um, in a certain way. Ben, thank you so much for that. Um, my, my next question is, so you grew up in England and you didn't grow up here, but you've been here, I think, long enough to maybe see how young boys who become men are socialized around grief, mental health trauma, sadness, anger, the whole thing, right? And I am curious if you, uh, either what was the experience like growing up in England? Um, you interfaced with separation and divorce and loss in that way. You had an up close front row seat to mental illness many years ago before it was talked. I mean, there's still stigma, but it wasn't talked about at least here. So what was it like growing up there with all of these things happening? And do you see parallels in that um, here in the United States? 
Mm. Good question. Um, I think, <laughs> like for anybody, trying to trying to boil down masculinity or femininity is is and where it comes from for you is complex. Um, I will shout out a quick plug for a podcast I'm working on right now called Meh Masculinity, <laughs> Meh M E H Masculinity, where we tried to break this down with um, some of my colleagues from Joy Channel, but. I did want to just say like that was a lob way to grab and slam dunk that uh, we will have information in the show notes about this awesome podcast in which Ben is a part of where they explore masculinity uh, so yes but <laughs> while I was hoping that you would mention that I would like to invite you back to what you were saying <laughs> thank you Shonda uh, that is the only kind of alley-oop I'm physically capable of <laughs> um I <laughs> I'm just laughing at my own stupid joke now. Um, but to come back to my thing, I, I think it was complex because my dad was an incredibly physically affectionate, loving father who actively taught empathy all the time. And he also was someone who rarely cried, um, who was more comfortable expressing anger than uh, despair um and uh <laughs> as he became a single father of four you know um was was stressed out a lot of the time um and kind of rightly so um and then in England at my high school that's kind of I think of high school more of where um masculinity got formed for me that was complex too because I had really tender um relationships with my male friends you know like we would walk down the main street you know like with our arms around each other um not holding hands but occasionally you know and would hug um occasionally kiss if we had a couple drinks like it was very um affectionate that way and there was also a period of years where uh at my school people just got mugged left and right <laughs> um often by your classmates and so uh there was you kind of had to learn how to carry yourself in a way where it didn't look like you were an easy target and let me tell you I looked like an easy target <laughs> I still do kind of but um so I think outside the home I was learning that I really had to be on alert for how soft I looked or not um and especially if I was by myself um and so I think I I didn't I, did, I had no desire or reinforcement to be vulnerable like in this in the school setting except for maybe kind of like in my relationships with um girls and, and women, you know, and I, I had a lot of strong relationships with women. So I think, I think that's maybe what balanced me from going off the deep end into the English equivalent of bro culture, which is lad culture. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know, parallels, parallels in the US. I also had some schooling here in the US through college. Um, yeah, I don't know, I'm kind of like drawing a blank on the parallels part. What what kind of stands out to you from what I was sharing, Shonda? No, I appreciate that. I I it was just a curiosity, right? Like, um, your 
a white appearing male here, you're a white male, white male appearing there. Um, I didn't know um, just if, if, if there were differences that you, um, that you could speak to, but no, that was great. It, there wasn't a specific, you know, it was just more of a general curiosity um, in that because I, I've never been to England and know not that much about it. So I, I was curious about that, but I, I do appreciate you drawing um, a specific attention to nuance, like when you, with your dad, extremely compassionate and empathetic and taught empathy, like, right? tender and then never cried and was more comfortable expressing anger and I just think about how much we absorb those nuances on a regular basis particularly as children and we don't recognize their nuance we just go this is life this is how it is and try to make sense of our world and then how you um developed the perception of masculinity or the outward facing perception of masculinity out of a need for safety out of physical safety, right? And and how many of us, all of us in some way, shape or form have developed some way that we show up in the world so that we can remain safe in some ways, physical safety, like not being mugged, <laughs> others, emotional safety, you know, social safety, all of those things. And so I just really appreciated, um, appreciated that story um, and how you said that. And as we transition to, you know, one of the, the roles you play builders, builders for visionaries. So one, I, I love the three words strung together <laughs> builder for visionaries. And you alluded a little bit, you work with two to three visionary women and you talked about, you know, that in a way, but I would love to dig there a little bit more. Um, because as you said it, I literally was like, am I a visionary? And um, I, I don't know the answer to that question. There's a part of me that's like, nah. And then there's a part of me that's like, girl, shut up. Like, yeah, um, all the things. And though that, that exact conversation happens daily in my <laughs> inside of me of recognizing who I am and what words I would attribute to that. But what I recognize I don't necessarily like doing is the building part. <laughs> ben, you and I have had numerous conversations. Shonda wants to live a logistic free life. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're new to the podcast, I'm going to tell you what that means. It means I literally want to wake up in the morning and someone is like, here, eat this. Now it's things I want to eat because they're aware of what I want to eat, but I have no interest in like figuring out what I want to eat in that moment or cooking it. I want someone to be like, bam, this is what you got on your calendar today. Here are your two outfit choices. Wonderful. I will buy the clothes that are in the closet. I will buy the food that's there, but the act, and it's not the like doing, I just, that's all logistical to me. So my initial interactions with you were because you are a builder you hold logistics down. And if I can tell you how many times I've actually said, oh my God, I need a bin in my life. I, I need a bin, <laughs> not just in my life. I, I need a bin. Now I do have a Lorianne. That's a few episodes ago, y'all. That's my assistant. She's amazing. My life has shifted because she's a part of it because she builds 
because she understands the vision and executes things that I don't have to think about. I don't want to think about. I don't know to think about my capacity to show up for those I want to care for. I want to love on. I want to be present with has deepened so much because so much of that stuff is off my plate. So to the builders, to the Bins and Lorians of the world, y'all are amazing. But can you talk to us a little bit about like where that's rooted for you? How did you know you were a builder? Where do you get this? I don't, maybe it's a desire to be logistical or maybe it's just, it's just a byproduct of something else. But tell us more, please. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm giggling because I'm like, what are the roots of this? And the image that came to mind was like very small childhood. And in our living room, there was a little cupboard that the toys went into. And I think I had, I don't know about as much fun, but I had a good time putting away and organizing those toys. <laughs> now, listen, I could be a visionary. I could get all of the building blocks. And I'm not talking like Legos and Duplos where they'll stick together. I'm just talking the little colored wooden blocks we used to have. And I could create, you know, the Champs-Élysées. Uh, I, I could really go there, but I'd also have a really good time color coordinating all those blocks into a box and putting that box in the right spot on the shelf next to the other boxes. And, um, Amazing. and I'm, <laughs> I can't, I can still be that, that way in my own home today, which me and my partner joke about because we have very different um, ways that we tidy. <laughs> but um, I think there's always been a part of my brain, however it's wired, that likes to organize and then um, other experiences, I think going through some of those traumatic adolescent experiences I talked about, I, uh, one of the ways that I coped with that was building lots of structure. And really, my dad was building a lot of it for us. But then I continued that as kind of like a way to thrive, you know, no matter what the challenge was. Um, so, and it, it really became like a resilience tool. Um, not so much kind of like, you have to do this to get by. I was just like, this is a really great way to be resilient. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think being a, being an oldest sibling of four and having other individuals that you can organize <laughs> um, is maybe part of it. Um, when it comes to, to present day and what it means when I say builder for visionaries, First of all, I, I just made that up, you know, for this podcast, but I like it. And it, it needs to stick. I think you need to get some virtual business cards that say builder for visionaries. And what I recognize in the visionaries that I work with and the, the three that I've named are Luna Malbro, Sarah Buffy, um, and Alonike Ayumide Minsan. Um Two of which were guests on the podcast. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Go back and listen. This is a home for visionaries and builders, y'all. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I think that it takes a lot of energy and power um, and self-knowledge and world knowledge to dream up new worlds and new ways of being. Um, and it doesn't look like sitting at your laptop um, typing away necessarily. Um, it doesn't look like regular working hours. Um, it might literally be do something you're doing and you're dreaming <laughs> and waking up in the morning. Um, 
And I know that a little bit from my own experience because I can do it, but working with those three people and others, I like that's something that they're just doing almost all the time because of their commitment to creating a new world. And I know that that is not my strongest skill set. And I believe that to get to a better world, we need the visionaries. We need people who can imagine a more liberated, healthy society for all of us. And I know that, that I'm, I'm actually kind of like a better number two to somebody like that than I am the one to dream it up. Um, and that, uh, like I was saying, all, doing all those things of being a visionary takes a lot of energy and time. And maybe you don't have a lot of because I, I believe actually all the visionaries I work with are really excellent at logistics. <laughs> I think that they all have really good business sense um, and could easily do all of that stuff, but you can't do it all. Um, and so I like, to, I like to provide kind of my organizing brain um, and my deep listening skills so that I feel like I'm really receiving what they're sharing with me and trying to kind of um, not even organize it for them, be a co-organizer. Um, and kind of like hold some of that with them. Um, and it pulls on, it pulls on different skills. <laughs> sometimes it's my love of a good spreadsheet. <laughs> um, sometimes it's on facilitation skills and like, um, like co-guiding the conversation uh, to the deepest why um, or kind of refocusing or asking clarifying questions or even just reflecting back wow, I just heard this incredible idea um, or celebrating. So I think it's a, it's a lot of different things. Um, and I don't know, in the past, I might have felt a pressure to be the visionary. <laughs> um, and actually, it's, it's really nice to sit back and trust somebody else's vision and know that I can add to it um, and, and build upon it. But, but it's, not, uh, it's not my primary thing. Such a succinct description of what you do. As you talked, I thought about the countless times I've seen you in that role. And um, I think your description was so accurate from how I perceive it. I'm hoping that this, like, if I were to say, man, what I hope listeners take away is there are so many support people in the world who don't sometimes recognize their value to people that I don't know whether they themselves hold highly um, or society does, but the support role is so valuable and it doesn't mean less skill. So I love the fact that you've mentioned like you could be the visionary, you hold capacity or at least capability for being the visionary, but your assessment of your skills and talents and desires lie with supporting the vision of someone else. And that's just simply beautiful. I was like listening as you were talking, still debating that inner question of whether or not I'm a visionary um, <clears throat> ongoing in my mind. And what I will say is I'm never not working. Though I've developed some pretty good boundaries with when I'm going to receive a phone call. As a matter of fact, my voicemail pretty explicitly says, don't leave me a voicemail. I'm not calling you back. Um, <laughs> contact me via email or through my website, right? That's a boundary. Um, I'm not checking my emails and responding to emails all times of night on the weekend. Though I have those boundaries and I, you know, sessions and workshops are time limited. I'm never not working 
because there is some inner work that's happening that's leading me towards helping people be humans with other humans, helping people move from coping to healing and, and just all of those different things. So your, at least your, your description was uh, compelling enough for me to go, I think Shonda's a visionary. And I wasn't willing to just make that determination because I own a business and it does a lot of things. I do think those things are different, but when I think about how much support a person who is constantly working and visioning and and trying to create a different world needs. I think sometimes people don't understand because in my experience with some of the visionaries you named, maybe myself and other people I would consider visionaries, they look like they can do it all. And guess what? Oftentimes they kind of can like the capability to do it all. You know, Buffy and I, we talk very frequently in one of our conversations we were having you were we were talking about you and how awesome you are in that role and me still going like now that I have someone to support me how that is but she was just like but you have done all of that like you know we were just talking about how our businesses took these different trajectories at different points and she's like because you kept doing all that stuff yourself and I'm like yes and it wasn't until I realized that was not um, sustainable for my sanity, my health, physical and mental, that couldn't do it all, that I was able to kind of go and say, I really do need help and support. Um, so yeah, I just, I want people to know whether you officially hold a support role, whether your business card says builder of visionary or builder for visionaries or whatever that is, supporting people who are doing human work is super important. Um, and I think Sometimes people devalue that role, um, especially of another role that you're supporting is more visible, more celebrated. Um, and maybe you don't often get told how valuable your role is, but you know how valuable that role is. Get sick a day or go on vacation. All of a sudden, <laughs> people start to realize, oh my goodness. This person's role is so vital. The thing is, y'all are so equipped and awesome that you put things in place that most of us don't even recognize when you are sick or have taken time because you've built in that support to sustain us even in your absence. And so I just know that there are people listening who fall into this category. And I just wanted to throw those words of affirmation and encouragement to you. Um, I see you. I see the value of your role and I, I hope that you do too. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's super dope. Um, I feel like that takes, well, retract, reframe. Let me re-ask it. I'm curious if there was some ego work that you had to do with yourself in order to be able to so boldly choose to be the second, if you would, um, and be able to really see your personal value and worth in that when we live in a culture that doesn't always, you know, give us that permission. Does that make sense? Yes, that does make sense. Um, <laughs> short answer, yes, <laughs> definitely, definitely some ego work over the years that needed to be done. Um, 
just trying to think where to start. I think I, I so I worked in a youth development profit for eight years that was like a family to me like I loved that work I worked directly with high school students as a mentor for about half that time and then as a manager and director at different times and I think in that work I I was kind of like gradually doing this like climb the ladder thing and when I say gradually I mean slow I mean (laughs) I got knocked back from a lot of job applications within that organization. So that I think was, uh, that was some ego work within itself. Um, I think also I was, I was working, you know, within a nonprofit where pay is okay, but not great, especially for someone living in the Bay area. And it didn't feel like I really had other options if I wanted to stay a part of this work family and this mission and to just kind of like keep climbing the ranks if I wanted to be able to live a little better and a little more comfortably. And um, if they would have paid me the same they paid their top directors to work with youth, I would have done it. I would have worked with youth the whole time. Um, but I wanted new challenges and I wanted to kind of like keep doing this climb. And I, as I kind of got into different director a different director style position I think it really did call for some of that visionary step back work um, that I wasn't really able to do um, to the extent that it was needed I think um, I could really do a lot of the um, building part and even that was kind of challenging the logistics for the the scope that we worked at Um, so I think that was like where some of the ego work came in and then later um, kind of in the pandemic made a career uh, shift of sorts, like a lateral movement, um, and was invited by um, Luna, who we've referenced here, um, to be a co-facilitator um, in the equity, diversity, inclusion space. Um, and <laughs> the, the invitation was like, I, for this particular client, I need uh, a white co-facilitator, um, ideally a white man. Luna is a black woman. Um, that's just how it is with this client. Um, really? Oh, you're nervous? You're nervous about doing this, Ben? The bar is so low, it's on the floor. <laughs> you just have to walk over it, show up, be a white person and be reflective. So <laughs> I think um, I think that was a, a funny and gentle ego check at the very beginning of this work of being in the DEI or EDI or JEDI. There's so many acronyms, it's kind of silly. But being in this space was that just based on my identity, um, I was going to be seen and heard and given so much more credit um, by mostly the white people that we work with, but also the men in particular, um, and with other audiences less credit. And so, and I also, even though I had a lot of kind of, I don't want to say a lot, I had a good amount of training and reflection in this space around identity and oppression. I kind of was starting from scratch. So I had to go from this work family where I felt like a guru of sorts. <laughs> I don't know that anybody else would have called me that, but that was kind of the level I was at, at least in terms of organizational understanding <laughs> to rank beginner. Um, and when that pressure came off to be the leader, um, I just naturally fell into a number two style role that worked really well. And that's kind of been what's been guiding a lot of my work since then. 
And, you know, like I, I use the shorthand number two because I think it's something that people relate to. But I think even that phrase is fraught with um, the idea that one, one is more important than two. And that's not how the people I work with see it at all. Um, so I'm glad that you brought up that piece around people being under undervalued sometimes for what they bring. The other thing I, I would say is that who you are and what you're able to give is not static. So I might not be primarily a visionary right now, but maybe I get to a place later in life where I am or that like building is not my thing or something outside of just those two things is, is what is really driving me. So I also just want to invite people if they're listening to this and they're thinking, well, I'm a builder and a visionary or I'm neither of those things and I do this thing too. I think we all move in and out of kind of what works best for us. And um, I think part of the work for me in the self-love is valuing what I'm able to give now um, and knowing it might not be everything I dreamed of or everything I was socialized to believe was good, but it, do other people appreciate this? Do I appreciate it about myself? Okay, good. I'm going to try and celebrate that for me. No, that's, that's beautiful. So many things you said. <laughs> One, um, uh, I was intimately close to that first invitation and the bar was extremely low. Um, <laughs> I just want to, I just want to say like a uh, true story. Um, and it's interesting because there was someone else in the role who thought the bar who thought they were setting the bar really high. And we're like, oh, okay. That's almost even worse. Like, and you really thought that was a high bar. Um, so much of what you said, um, I just appreciated and it clarified for me, right? Um, I got myself stuck in this binary throughout this conversation. Well, is Shonda a visionary or is she not a visionary, right? And like going back and, mm -hmm. and as you were talking, what I genuinely am coming back home to, which is something that I've been able to articulate more now, I would say in the, in the last year for sure, but probably even less than that is Shonda just shows up and I'm going to take the just out. Shonda shows up. Yes. Take that just out. Shonda shows up. And I have been very clear with folks that I've worked with historically, um, that I'm going to show up, period. <laughs> and there is such a gift and presence. And when I show up, I really do show up. I show up fully presenced. I, the prep work is getting myself to a space where I can be present, trying to minimize those distractions. And in that presence, I trust my natural gifting and skill things I've nurtured and things that flow through me through spirit, ancestors and all that stuff to give what is needed in the moment. And um, that doesn't have to fall on a binary of visionary or not. All I know is I love it. Now, what I can say is when I'm talking to visionaries and I'll specifically say when I'm talking to Sarah Buffy and I'm talking to Luna Malbro and I say, I'm going to show up, they know exactly what that means. And they're like, great that's all we wanted. Right. And so I find that their, their ability to trust that whatever is going to be and how, and whatever comes out is what's needed is what has allowed me to really be able to relax into this space if I show up. Right. And I, I try to hold loosely the fact that some people need more, 
right? So sometimes with the podcast, people are like, so what are we going to talk about? And I'm like, your labor of love, whatever that is, that's, we're going to go. But I've been on some other podcasts where they're like, and I'm going to send you a list of questions. And I'm already like, if they're pre-prepared, that's great. I probably won't read them. Um, (laughs) I'm going to show up (laughs) and I, I just need you to know that. So like, if you're doing extra work to prepare me, know that giving me questions because inevitably what happens and I try to warn them, you're going to do this and it's not, you're not going to stick to, no, you're, we're not going to stick to those questions because you're going to say something that makes me think of something and we're going to end up on a whole different continent and you're going to love it. And it's going to be really good. And you're going to look back and be like, I asked one of my questions, but I spent all this time developing 10, right? So don't like join me if you would in just this space of authentic presence. And that can be very challenging. I do get that. And we haven't, you know, really been culturized to, to show up in that way. Um, but I think it's pretty darn fantastic. So that was me externally working through whether or not I was a visionary and realizing that I did not have to pick an either or, or, um, but that's what I do because, you know, that's how I show up. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I would, I would add, uh, Shonda, that what I know of you and what you do, like you do visionary things. I don't know if like, you know, if you have to identify and say, I am a visionary. I don't even know if the people I listed would <laughs> say that of themselves. That's just how I see them. You know? And so I think you, you for sure do visionary things. This podcast is a visionary thing um, to be doing. I appreciate that. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Ben, was there anything I didn't ask, any street we did not go down, any rock we did not turn over that um, you would like to say to the listeners or any parting words of encouragement or um, any final thoughts on self-love that you'd like to leave with us? Hmm. There was, there's, I have like a, little mind worm that's itching uh, or bugging me which is just you know we you were talking about how oftentimes people who are not um who are the supporters or the builders or things doing uh, the task that go unseen are often not valued and it feels important just to name that they're also often not paid as much as as the people up front yeah and and so i think that in in some ways, that makes the self-love piece all the more important. If your skill set is not something that is um, historically seen as uh, as valuable financially to an organization, um, I think it it, ta- it takes a little more self-love to know what your value is, but then not, not just to know it intrinsically and go, what I did today mattered, <laughs> um, but to also know what you're worth and to and to try to command that and ask for that and and create that for yourself as much as you can because um I think part of that pressure to be things that we aren't (laughs) to be the visionary the personality comes from a fear of scarcity of if if you're not that um, because that's kind of the world that we're living in right now Um, and again (laughs) I think that we need those visionaries to imagine a world that isn't here yet. Um, so 
I don't, I don't have to wrap that thought up in a bow, but that, that was kind of the, the piece that was still sitting with me. No, I think that was a beautiful bow tied very nicely without glitter because I hate glitter. Um, lovely bow. <laughs> so then if someone was listening and they're like, you know, I'm a visionary and I want a builder or, hey, I think I'm a builder or they just want to listen to your amazing accent and talk to you. <laughs> How might they contact you? Um, yeah, the easiest way to contact me would be just be via my email. Um, so that is Stevens, spelled with a V, dot Ben, dot David at gmail.com. And yes, I do have an extremely bland name. <laughs> Comes with the accent. Um, that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really on the socials. Um, so that's the, that's the easiest way to contact me. Um, and I welcome your contact. Wonderful. We will definitely have that in the show notes. Ben, I appreciate you so much. Thank you for your presence and just being your authentic self, um, sharing with us how self-love can significantly contribute to how we love others and how we show up in the world. Well, I'm grateful for you providing this space. I think um, the invitation to be heard, responded to, um, seen, to explore what my labor of love is, I think is uh, inviting me into a process of self-actualization or or greater love for me. So thank you. I, I appreciate you and I love you. I love you too. You're so welcome. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides all the music for the Labors of Love, and to my producer, Mr. Jay Suck from Instant Classic Media. And of course, you, my listeners, I do not take it for granted. Y'all tune in and listen. Love y'all. If you want to reach out to me, if you have suggestions for content or guests, you can reach me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. Go down on that welcome page and there's a form that you can fill out for that. Don't forget that we are on all the major social media outlets, y'all. TikTok. Y'all following me on TikTok? I do stuff over there. Um, I also want to let you know that the Labors of Love merch is back. I probably should have said that earlier because I feel like as soon as I shout out Trey Angel, people probably stop listening to the podcast because it's usually the same spiel. But we got t-shirts, we have tank tops, we have sweaters, mugs, and stickers. Um, and one of my new shirts, being uh, being human with other humans, y'all, is dope. So uh, take a look on the website for that. Don't forget our YouTube channel that houses all of our Therapy Thursday videos. And if you have not given us that five-star rating, what are you waiting for? Go ahead and give us that five-star rating, write us a review, share the podcast with your loved ones and friends until we connect again you all be well